if you missed part one of my conversation with Lillian Dormano, I urge you to stop, go back, and give it a listen. When women speak up, they get attacked by not just by men, but by other women as well. If you don't have anything to say, like you said, what you said before, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything. I am Lillian, and you're listening to The Future. I think it's it's really important to regulate people's behavior in online spaces because people just generally tend to be more aggressive and more horrible when there is a screen in front of them and you know you're not you're not there as a person you're there as a name just as a text you know that anonymity sort of gives you the license to be more horrible to other people you know and I think it's really important to set those rules and say no you're not allowed to uh, to to say that these things don't happen you're not allowed to to undermine, or this is a feminist term, gaslight. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but gaslighting basically means like, you know, you you say that the person who's who's expressing the negative sentiments is crazy or like they're they're overreacting, they're being hysterical, which is another word that women often hear, mm-hmm. being accused of being hysterical. Um, so you're not allowed to do that to your fellow women mm-hmm. when they're expressing pain, just yeah. to look after people and give people a safe space, you know. I think all that you're saying, I, I totally believe in. And it's just that I, I don't know what compels somebody to invalidate another person's experience, the human experience. And I don't get that. Mm. It, it yeah. just shows a really low level of empathy. Yeah. And, it, yeah. It, and it's funny. It's like when it happens to you, then all of a sudden you understand. Yeah. So maybe that's one way of if you put out all that negative energy, you're you're asking for trouble from this karma this mm. inequity in karma and you put it out there it's like okay it's gonna happen to you then you'll come crawling back and saying oh i see it now mm. i see it right okay yeah so i want to talk about something else here that you've also brought up and uh, you're leaving so many little tri- crumbs or things for me to pick up I'm like oh my gosh i can follow that one and i, I don't even know mm. where this is all going right now but yeah okay so you talk about this this vicious cycle yeah. and i remember going to some relationship workshop and they're talking about changing the energy because the vicious cycle takes you down the drain whereas you want to mm. convert it to the virtuous cycle and something has to change so let's yeah. try to like look at a problem here and i see mm. it too because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm starting to speak at more conferences and it does tend to be dominated by white men very mm-hmm. few african-american or just people that are black uh, yeah. very few people that are uh, uh, that are gay or other, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. very few women speak, and so let's just mm-hmm. focus on, on on women right now. Yeah, uh, I this is an observation mm-hmm. that there seems to be fewer women that are out there that are these kind of public facing people who are good at tooting their own horn. Because if mm-hmm. you talk about list the number of people that are out there and exposing themselves, it's mm-hmm. and, uh, their work. I mean, exposing themselves. It's it's. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of dudes doing it, yeah. and so as a event organizer, and it is a labor of love because it's so much work and very little money. 
mm-hmm. right? They're looking for yeah. people who can draw people in. They want to put butts in chairs, essentially. Yeah. So if you're flying under the radar, yeah, they're less likely to put you on there because it's an expense of them. It's it's managing logistics and time. So mm-hmm. let's 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 get real smart. Let's brainstorm around how we can fix this because all we have to do is make one change, and that change will lead to another positive change, and it, it can mm-hmm. have a ripple effect in the opposite direction. So let's you yeah. and I kind of brainstorm together a little bit, and I, mm-hmm. I just want to hear what kind of insight you have. Yeah, I think uh, first of all, there are a few key women designers out there that will put butts on seats. Mm-hmm. So you start from there, and then I think it would be amazing if these women open themselves up to either offering informal mentorships to say that if there are any of you out there who want to know more about how to speak publicly, because it's a scary thing to do, you it know, sure public is. speaking, know. come to me, I will workshop it with you informally in whatever time I have. Mm. Um, I think that's a start, you know, standing up on a podium, on a platform and calling out for more female talent to come forward. I think that needs to be done by those key female designers that are currently already out there and have a bit of a, a draw to them mm-hmm. that can put butts on seats. Mm-hmm. But it is also important to be done by the event organizer uh, and by other men who want to be our allies. I think everyone should say it. Come mm-hmm. forward, come forward, come forward. So that's the first step. And the next step is to reach out and pull out from the sea of people, from the crowd. Because like I said before, as women, we are conditioned to question ourselves and to doubt ourselves all the time. That a lot of us don't have the self-belief that we can do this. We don't believe that we have anything worthy to say. We don't believe we have anything important to say or any we can be any use to anyone if we stand up in front of a conference, which is something that I find to be so untrue in my work on Spectrum. You have no idea how many women that I've approached say, oh, I don't know if I have anything interesting to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, my story is a bit boring. But then you start talking to them and all this interesting stuff comes out. And then, you know, you got, you have to point it out to them afterwards and say, you know, you said you're not going to be very interesting, but look at all this wonderful stuff you have to share and offer. And this will help people who are in your position. This will help people. Uh, this sort of thing that you don't think is, is valuable is actually very important. And I think part of that is because the industry has been very male-dominated for a very long time. So things that are held up as valuable are things that are quite male in terms of approach. Things like awards, things like prestige, which is a very, and I've said this in other podcasts as well, it's a very vertical structure. It's a very vertical way of looking at things that there's a a ladder. You climb higher and higher. You get to the peak. You're at the apex. You're at the top of your game. You're the best in uh, motion design or modeling or 3D or whatever or, or directing or whatnot. Whereas the female approach to what's satisfying is more of a, of, of a circle, I find, that a lot of women I speak to find that tell me that the most fulfilling thing they can do is if they're allowed to participate in a few different roles 
in the same job or they get to help other people accomplish something uh, and also speaking to uh, other women in um, in my spectrum series some of the things we talk about is that it's very easy for guys to to toot their horn and say this is my skill you know they can take a screen grab for their latest cinema 40 um, thing experiment put it up there hashtag it shared on social media whereas a lot of what women are very very good at are things that cannot be seen as easily things like soft skills diplomacy um, negotiation encouragement nurturing support collaboration things that cannot be framed in one amazing image and put up out there and i think the more we have a good mix in the talent pool in terms of gender equality the more those skills will be seen as valuable and the more rounded everybody will become because i think whether you're a man or woman you you would benefit you know if you're a designer you would benefit from a lot of people's skills too knowing how to talk to clients knowing how to talk to your colleagues knowing how to get the best out of people if you're in a leadership position knowing how to encourage um, and to to push people to be the best they can in a positive way and so on and so forth. So going back to the conferences, we start with women that can put butts in seats. And then from there, you do a call out by the women and by the conference organizers. And after that, also doing a reach out. Um, just keep reaching out. If mm. people don't come to you, coax them, cajole them. Uh, There's just a lot of what I've been doing with Spectrum is, is persuading and and negotiating and, and asking them, what would you find comfortable? Would you be more comfortable if we pair you up with another speaker that complements your work? And you can talk about uh, your work in a, a different way. And uh, you, Maybe you can talk to each other and have a conversation with each other in front of an audience. And that way you ask each other questions and the audience find out more about your processes and the insight into your creative lives through not you talking about yourself, but you talking to another person and, and have a, a discussion with them. And I think as as far as conference goes, um, you know, I'm, I'm quite old by now. So I've, I've seen a lot of portfolio show and tell, this is me, this is what I've done. And it tends to bore me a little bit. I, I find it more engaging if there's a bit of a panel thing going on or a discussion or something with a bit more focus, not just this is what I've been doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously when it comes to women and minorities, it's a lot less intimidating if you have someone with you on stage. So that's that's something that I think a few people have been trying and it's been quite successful. Mm, okay. So that's, that's my suggestion. That's excellent. So I've written a lot mm. of notes here. So let's talk about this. Yeah. So let's first, let's just do something together. Let's give recognition to the to the women that you're talking about there that's already kind of above the, the they're on the radar already so let's just mm -hmm. call them out by name and then it's equally not only just recognize them but let's challenge them to yeah. help to open this up and to realize this is a very difficult thing and we have mm. to get this out from in in small rooms and chat rooms to out into the public and to celebrate yeah. great creative people regardless mm -hmm. of their age sex or or ethnicity right so who are yeah. some of the people that that you i have a small list so mm. let, let's just call them out first let's just like who do you look up to and say okay they're out there already doing it yeah um i love 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 uh ru kuahata from mm -hmm. tiny inventions uh her storytelling approach and yeah she's just really good at writing stories that are compelling she's also a very talented uh animator um 
then we have Michelle Higa, obviously, of Slanted Studios, who um, is also a mother like me. And it's amazing. It will be amazing to hear her strategies of running a business while being a parent, which is not an easy thing, as anyone would know. Um, then you have people like Karen Fong. Um, and then you have really, really top people like um, Marie Hyon from Psyop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have uh, a whole host of young, talented, tend to be 2D animators from all around the world that is compiled under Pun Animation. So we have B. Grandinetti, who is the uh, one of the founders of Pun Animation, um, other founders, uh, Lynn Fritz, um, Hedwig Alberg. Uh, oh, God, so many. I, I just have to – maybe I'll just pull up <laughs> – I'll pull up <laughs> – my Instagram, because they have an Instagram account, Poon mm-hmm. Animation, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of really, really amazing people on there. Uh, let me just okay. So while look. you do that, I, I will mm-hmm. I'll drop some names myself. Yeah. So from the world of design, not so much from the world of animation. Mm-hmm. There's the the godmother Paula Share of Pentagram mm-hmm. Design, and she was recently yeah. featured in the Netflix series Abstract. Mm-hmm. She's a great yep. speaker, incredibly yeah. smart, powerful. And yep. then there's Debbie Millman. And there's oh, a yes. bunch of lettering artists, too many to name, but one that pops up who's constantly, I, I think, on the speaking tour. And, and mm-hmm. somebody I know, her name's Gemma O'Brien. There's mm-hmm. Jeanette Liao, who was on our podcast. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, my friend Karen Fong's going to be on our show pretty soon. So I, I just want to make sure that the pursuit of the limelight isn't exclusive to men. That I think it's maybe it's not even about your ego, but it's about opening the doors for other people to follow in. Because it, it's hard to deny this that when we see and hear voices and people that look and sound like us, it's mm. encouraging. Yeah. It allows yeah. us, the, the younger mind, like if you're an eight year old looking at this person and it, it seems like it's realistic that you can reach out and touch them, that that becomes part of your template and your model for, for how to be. Right. Mm, yeah. So I love that. So you want to add some more names? Yeah. So right here I have Alexandra Lund, Daniela Uribe, Camille Vincent, Emily Suvanvesh, Mandy Wickens, Justina Stasic, and that's that's all so far that they've covered under Pun Animation. Mm-hmm. What they do is like once a week they get one of. Uh, one of the designers, one of the female animators and designers to take over their Instagram account and start posting work and talking about the work. Um, so that's that's it's that's fantastic. a really amazing source of inspiration for people who are on Instagram. Um, then we have, you know, um, this is one of the things where you kind of see uh, company names, but there's actually one, you know, like a duo, one, one man, one woman. Mm-hmm. So uh, Bat Collective... So we have Bali Angel and Mathieu Landau. Um, they're based in London, um, two French animators. And then Julia Pott, okay. which I'm sure uh, a lot of people out there know who she is. She's, uh, she used to be um, with Hornet, I believe, but now she's been commissioned to do her own animation show for Netflix. Mm. And when I saw her last at F5, she did that cool thing of, 
Hi, my name is Julia Pot. If you want to see my work, go to the internet. Now I'm going to talk about my inspiration, which is a little bit more interesting than just showing my work. So she talk about Perfect. all kinds of things that she loves and makes her tick, including Buffy, the vampire slayer. <laughs> so oh, that girl has a door to my heart straight away. Um, so yeah, I'm, if Julia is listening to this, you know, thanks for that. I've, <laughs> I've used that template from now on. You know, I, I say to people, hi, I'm Lillian. If you want to see my work, you can go to the internet. Now I'm right. going to talk about something else that's more interesting. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I Perfect. mean, it's also about the limitation of time. You know, obviously, when you go to conferences and you speak, it's a lot of it is, is unpaid gigs, you know, it's uh, unpaid speaking engagements, and people don't have time to put together something custom made for every conference. So the easiest thing to do is uh, a bunch of slides that show your work, and you just talk about the process. Mm-hmm. That's that, done, simple, easy, and then, <laughs> then you can move on to, you know, um, other things in your life. Maybe I can send you a list. Yes, we can include um, it in the show notes. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. That might be a good way. But this is a um, good start. I, I think mm-hmm. highlighting several names that you already know and some that you might not know allows us to kind of dig deeper and kind of maybe find out about some people that should be on our list. So that's fantastic. So that's us recognizing that these are women that are top of their game in, in whatever industry that they're in. And we, we haven't mm-hmm. even got into interior design or product or industrial design, et cetera. But this is just kind of the people we know. So let's give them recognition and also challenge them to challenge other women and to realize mm-hmm. that when they're up there on that stage, there are a bunch of women that attend. So mm-hmm. let's start to change or address the agenda and let's see if they can't start to become these people who put on maybe public speaking workshops, as you mentioned. Maybe yeah. there are story coaches because... Look, I, I, I think it's not a man-woman thing. It's just a human being thing. We all think our story is kind of banal and it's just not very interesting to anybody. But mm. in the hands of a good story coach, they can pull it out of you and say, this is gold and this is going to really get the waterworks going or this is going to get somebody to finally do that thing that they always wanted to do and you give them hope. There are plenty of female writers. They should. That's a good place to start too. People who've already know how to craft and tell a story, right? Yeah. And I yeah. really like this idea that you put out there. This is this is an awesome piece. So I, I want to just spend half a second talking about it, which mm. is there's this template that people seem to follow. And I'm tired of it. I, I've been tired mm. of it for a really long time, which is here's my work. Here's kind of how I did it. Here's my work. And this isn't this a cool fact about how I did this piece of work. It's like, this does not help me. And that's kind of not very inspiring right but this seems to be the model for creative talks and i get it because it's very very difficult to try to share a life lesson a bigger story other than the work that you do but Mm. let's just say this if that's what it takes to get somebody on stage as a start that's totally Mm -hmm. fine show your work talk about your process we can celebrate that that's fine but yeah what's more interesting to me and this ties into your article, which is, let me see, let me pull it up here, which is uh, don't measure yourself by their standards. So if that's the standard, we can do better. We can mm. do something with panel discussions or team speaking or something where we can shake it up. So it feels more like a dialogue and it's richer in what we discover versus yeah. here's another slide of my work that you can see on the Internet. Right. <laughs> I get yeah. that. So I really like that. Uh, hopefully this will be the next wave of conferences in design where we think of other things, not just, you know, another show and tell, right. which is, yeah, this it's, it's a template, it's a format and we need to move past it, I think. I hope so. So 
now that we kind of have some ideas on what can work, so the entrepreneur in me says, you know what? Sometimes you have to invent your own future. You can't wait for people to do it. We can't wait for uh, other people to say, all right, now I'll start to change the dialogue. And then we can't wait for organizers to say, let's put it on. So why not go to the next level and, and to say like, some smart, very capable person should put on a conference that really highlight and feature women, not maybe exclusively, but to really mm. take on that effort, like this superpower thing where these people that have incredible stories to, to tell and have their own following can be a viable, profitable business model. I think at the mm. end of the day, there's things that we do for our heart, but it, it can be fueled when it's a good business model. Yeah. So why yeah. not do that? Why not have some established smart person, preferably a woman, set this mm -hmm. up so that they mm -hmm. can invite more women and say, look, that's going to be our agenda. We're going to do this. And we're mm. going to prove to those other people mm -hmm. they're missing the boat. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So who I will mean... step up to do that? <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. Let's do a call out. Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> um yeah, uh, hopefully somebody will answer the call and, and do that. Uh, that would be amazing. But yeah, I, I really like the idea of putting putting it into the mix, uh, not just a, a conference for women, because that's another phenomenon quite um, common called, you know, ghettoizing or just as, as a gesture of tokenism. You know, right. you have one episode of a podcast or mm -hmm. one day of the conference where it's all women. So we, the women are not good enough to play with everyone else, have to be given their own stage. So other people don't catch their girl germs. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know that's uh, funny. I don't even think yeah. it like that. So here, here's the thing. I really believe this. If I found a resource that people mm. are too stupid to pick up, I just, yeah. I'm just going to take it all for myself. That's cool. Yeah. And then when yeah. we blow up and are super successful, they're like, oh, yeah. that's what he was yeah. doing. Yes. Oh. I mean, the tide is definitely turning, you know, mm -hmm. like a lot of conferences are already doing that as part of their agenda. And I, I, I feel like I, when I see a lot of very outdated thinking of like, oh, you know, when, when people get uh, um, defensive and say, oh, we don't discriminate, we just get the best speakers. Uh, and I'm like, oh, it doesn't work quite like that. And then they become really defensive and aggressive. I'm just like, okay, dude, you're, you're going to miss the boat. You're going to, you either get on or you're going to be swamped by the tide eventually. Right. Um, well, yeah. I think that's a response that's not really addressing the bigger issue. If they're like, we already get the best speakers. I think, and, and I, I'm not sure if this is totally representative of people who, who say this, but I just think it's the safest play to just minimal amount of work to, to yeah. sell tickets right it's really about yeah. that so there's there's an effort lazy thing. yeah it's lazy mm -hmm. the l word yeah. it's lazy mm -hmm. but it's mm -hmm. also like it's the risk averse right so if we yeah and and i can see this because I, I go to to conferences and i see people speak and some of the speakers are just terrible they're just <laughs> not good speakers right because yeah. not everybody that wants to do this can do it. it takes a lot of work and that's why it's so scary mm -hmm. and it comes down to that so they're just trying to mitigate risk yeah right so it's yeah. it and i'm hoping that if anybody's listening to this podcast and you're a talented person that you you want to get on our show all you have to do is reach out to me i don't yeah. care if you're young old or whatever sexual persuasion preference yeah. you have or anything i don't care where you come from as long as you have an interesting story i want to talk to you and mm -hmm. i want to shine the light on you and that's the least that i can do yeah 
you know what's really funny? My husband is a fierce, loudmouth feminist. Mm. And when I talk to him about this issue, uh, and I say, oh, you know, pe- people who organize conferences say, oh, uh, we, we, you know, we're fine, we're good, we're happy to take your suggestions of this person and that person, a female speaker, but are they good? Can they actually do public speaking? Do they have something interesting to say? Are they going to make an interesting talk? My husband just grumbles and say, huh, I bet the men that gets invited never get asked those questions. <laughs> because he said, yeah, I go- I go all the time, and it's always boring. <laughs> you know what it is, though? I, I think mm. that's 100% true. And mm. I just think it's because uh, those men have done a better job of getting their name out there. Like you yeah. said, they post yep. frames or screenshots of what they're doing. It's it's sexy. It's easy to sell. It's, it doesn't take a lot to figure out. Like, yeah, you mm. know the tool set really well, right? Or yeah. you're really good at the craft, and we get that. But I, I also wanted to say this one thing is that if you're um, a man or a woman and you're really good at the soft skills, I yeah. believe there's an opportunity for you to celebrate that too. And going along yeah. with your theme of not using their standard, what if you just yeah. took a marker and just wrote out an uplifting thought and, mm. and photographed that? Because yeah. I know that there are many influencers out there that they just share really funny, sometimes sardonic thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great idea. Uh, there's a there's a woman, I think it says nothing but sarcasm on Instagram. And I read her post and I just laugh. I literally laugh out loud. They're just so funny. <laughs> and and she's producing. And there must be a whole team of people making these because it's she's so prolific. Mm. And they address all kinds of things, you know, things that normally you don't say in polite company, but they're hilarious. <laughs> I should look this up. Yeah. yeah, I think it's nothing but sarcasm. It's something nothing like that. Nothing but sarcasm. Yeah, and, and right. she's got, last I checked, over a million followers. Wow. But yeah, she never shows something. herself, so it's like, I don't know who this is. So who knows? It, it could be a robot. I don't know. <laughs> but that's that's another thing, you see. Like, it, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun when you stay anonymous. Mm. Uh, that's another way of doing it. Like, when I was going to do Spectrum, I did offer some of my guests. You know, you can be very candid. You can say, you can name names. Um uh, because it's not a, a voice interview, people will not, will not know who you are. Mm-hmm. I will write it out and I will leave out your name if you want to, you know, be as open as you want and 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 speak names, people that have done evil or companies that have done evil, and they're like, no, nah, no, nah, it's all right, I'll, I'll come out. And yeah, I'm still waiting for the, um, something like that to happen, which could be, you know, uh, kind of like fun um, in an evil way. Mm-hmm. You just gave me an <laughs> yeah. idea. What, yeah. what if um, someone who had some self-image issues that mm. you just put them on stage, but it's all backlit, so they're just a total silhouette, like oh. they're in the witness protection program? I mean, there's yeah, like, yeah. and that would be so memorable. It's like, okay, we're yeah. going to invite this person up and it's just a silhouette like a those iPod ads mm. it, back in the day, you know, the dancing silhouette. It yeah. could be like that. And that would be super fun. That's way better than a slideshow of, of somebody's work. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Witness protection. You don't know who the person is in the back and you change their voice so it sounds a little bit like Darth Vader. That would be hilarious. Yeah. Would that be and fun? And just like, yeah, it would be a lot of fun. Just talk candidly about this and that and like, oh, one time this person did this to me or whatnot and, and then, you know, they never pay their invoices on time. Full of shit. No, 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 no. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Are you a practicing or aspiring graphic designer? 
Are you willing to put in the time to improve your drawing skills and gain a deeper understanding of lettering? And are you wanting to learn how to really pay attention, really learn to see, and really understand the connection between the body and lettering? Well, the future has a course you're going to love. With the Advanced Lettering class, you'll receive access to over two and a half hours of content from legendary professor and designer Niels Lindstrom. Niels is a master graphic designer with expertise in hand lettering, decorative type, and custom font design. He has deep experience in identity systems, branding, logo type design, and packaging. He's a letter form instructor of 30 years at Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California. Over the course of this nine-module course, you'll explore topics such as the history and evolution of typography, manipulating type correctly, including elements of weight, slant, and character width, creating formal scripts, and more. And with the iOS mobile app, you can take this course anywhere. So if you want to better your lettering, visit thefuture.com today to learn more about the course. That's thefuture, F-U-T-U-R.com, and thanks for listening. If you're listening on iTunes, please write us a review. We'll be forever grateful. So I, I'm not 100% sure where you spend most of your time and energy. What I see online are these beautiful still frames. And then you mentioned learning After Effects and animating. What does the workday look like for you? Right. Um, so that, that was a long time ago. So I stopped animating uh, on After Effects. I stopped doing my own animation about nine years ago. Mm -hmm. So most of the time it's making style frames and illustrations. Uh, it depends on what's going on. Uh, most of my paid jobs involve characters. So I would be doing a lot of sketches and trying to nail a certain kind of personality, certain kind of body type. Uh, for the characters that is required for this piece or that piece, you know, sketching it out, sending it, getting feedback, tweaks, and then taking it into Illustrator or Photoshop and then fleshing it out. Um, or if there's no paid job and I'm just doing my own thing, um, I usually like to push boundaries with traditional media because I spend a lot of time on the computer. So when there is no need to do it, i.e. there's no paycheck involved, I sit with a uh, set of watercolor or charcoal and, and try and disengage from the screen, you know, keyboard setup and get dirty with paint. Um, I don't have a studio yet where I can splash paint everywhere and work on larger canvases, but that would be my next priority to to do. We're still renting. Um, it's a two-bedroom house. It's pretty small here in Melbourne. Hopefully, the next place we live in will be something that we buy and we can do whatever we want, have a, a shed in the back that can be converted into a studio and work on. I would love to work on wood um, or larger canvases, uh, pieces, huge pieces of paper with charcoal and ink and get a bit messy, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, but a typical work day, I go to the studio uh, which is a short walk from my house, um, get started, depends on what's on, uh, record my time, um, invoice when the job's done, you know, just just the usual thing. But yes, I don't do my own animation anymore. Mm -hmm. Do you mm -hmm. think having that experience of animating and being able to tell the story, because I love all that that you're talking about in terms of being attracted to story and narrative that mm -hmm. does having animation experience make you a better designer, art director, creative director? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm still trying to break into the traditional illustration world where the model is more um, agent, you know, like uh, an illustration agent based. So that's a little bit trickier because it's very saturated, it's very competitive, and it requires you to produce the same style over and over again um, to build a body of work. So the client would be more risk averse than animation clients. So they want to see something that's already in your books in order for them to commission something. And I just get very bored of that. So animation is still my main source of uh, income and love because with animation, you have to be uh, diverse. You have to be flexible. Mm. It depends on what the project requires aesthetic-wise. And, of course, when it comes to creating the actual assets, you understand what needs to be done after you pass that on to the animation team. If it's going to be built in 3D, you're making characters, you make sure you provide turnarounds. Um, you make sure you mock up how it's going to be lit because that would guide the lighting artist. If you are making um, 2D characters that then gets animated in After Effects with puppets, you make sure you separate the limbs properly mm -hmm. and you name your layers and you understand how the interface works in After Effects. So you, so you try your best to make it as, as neat and as easy as possible for the animator to open um, and so on and so forth. Yeah, but what was interesting about uh, what I've experienced is that I went to a trade show <clears throat> maybe about four years ago in London, it's called licensing, like brand licensing expo. Um, and that's where a lot of illustrators go to sort of sell their work. Hopefully somebody will pick it up and, and buy it and make it into a pattern to apply on uh, pillowcases or uh, dinnerware or whatnot or commission a TV show or whatnot. Um, so there's a lot of traditional illustrators that comes from non-animation background as well as uh, clients that normally would do that sort of work. When they pass my booth, they look at my stuff that I print really big and put up on the on the wall behind me, and they said, this is really weird. I can see all of them moving. Mm -hmm. Do you have an animation background? And I'm like, well, funny you should ask. That's where I've come from. So it's very odd to, to hear that feedback from people in the traditional illustration world to come and, and say, um, all of them are posed in very dynamic way. And that's very, that's very, it's very nice for me to hear because when I first started out doing style frames and art direction and illustration um, around about 2008, 2007, I was struggling a lot to make dynamic poses. You know, when I have to do a character uh, to get approval, the person is always kind of just standing there or the animals are always just kind of like, it's a bit static, it's a bit boring. So I kind of worked on it. Um, a fair bit to make sure that the pose is dynamic and it's engaging because that's when you can really sell the personality of the character a lot more when you can see them moving in your mind's eye mm -hmm. and it's really nice to hear that it's 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 worked you know um that i've gotten there although obviously there's still room for improvement as always yeah. mm, okay so that's a great tip for anybody that's working in illustration or wants to get into this field is that you you want to imply that the whole story frozen in a moment and the action really allows the viewer to kind of enter that world. And mm. I, I guess it's something that you've been able to develop and harness really well over time. Mm -hmm. Now, did you mention that you were exhibiting at trade shows or something? Is that? Oh, uh, that was a while ago. Okay. Um, 
I was part of the Association for Illustrators, the AOI, which I highly recommend to people out there who have questions about pricing and rights. Uh, a lot of people come to me for pricing advice, and I don't like giving out pricing advice because the few years I've been a member there, it's been really varied and really random. So I don't want to, you know, be responsible for you underquoting or overquoting or whatnot. But yeah, it was through that membership that I was exposed to the world of trade shows, where people basically put up different types of illustrations they do, like. The woman next to me had a, a huge folder just surface designs, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, a buyer would come through and say, oh, "Show me your woodland animals, show me your uh, food patterns, show me your flowers, you know, florals and and whatnot." And there are people who uh, have a whole stack of like characters, hoping that it would get licensed into toys or something, uh, or TV shows uh, and stuff like that. Um, there are people who have a whole stack of uh, watercolor children's illustrations hoping that somebody would commission a book. Um, some people have stories that are already written and illustrated by them and they bring samples and, you know, uh, and stuff like that. So th that was a very, you know, um, interesting experience, uh, although it's not the right kind of thing for me, but I'm glad to have done it because mm -hmm. I got to meet all these other people and see how the licensing side of things work. When it comes to brand and and you know it's all it's very much like a market you know buying and selling right. what have you got oh this uh, you know how how much for this it's, it's you know that sort of stuff mm -hmm. so yeah I, I went to an AIGA workshop a while back I'm blanking on her name but she teaches artists how to license their product and she makes a great living by doing this by making mostly patterns that she can sell. And the right, buyers of yeah. these things would be like Walmart or Target because they're constantly mm. needing patterns for napkins, for for cards, mm -hmm. for wrapping paper. And because she owns the 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 copyright, the intellectual property, it can yeah. be resold to other people unless it's an exclusive license. And yeah. I think, at least for me, that's like the holy grail where you get to make something once and, it, and you can make more money than the time that you put into it. And it keeps yeah. paying for itself over and over again, right? It's I, I yeah. gotta imagine that you must have a gigantic library of assets, uh, things that you build, characters, backgrounds, props. So, do you do anything with those? Uh, no, because uh, those were commissioned by companies to use as either pitch boards or mm -hmm. as animation. So, it's it's already associated with that brand or that animation or that product. And I actually haven't gone into that area of, of licensing yet, of making things and then selling it almost like a stock library. Right. Um, it's a very different ball game. Um, and from what I understand, it's a lot of hard work because, it's, again, it's about finding the buyer uh, mm -hmm. and it's very competitive. There's a lot of people trying to do the same thing. Um, so, yeah, so far I haven't done any of that. All the licensing stuff that I do is is more... When people commission me for something, I always get into those uh, conversations first up. I said, what do you need this for? Do you only need this for the animation or do you also want to use it as part of a, uh, an e-newsletter, a web thing, or is there a poster involved, you know, and then negotiating licensing that way. To be honest, it hasn't really happened very often where you get something huge and lucrative and somebody wants to buy your designs and use it everywhere. 
partly because the market is saturated, but also partly because the lack of knowledge uh, from designers, artists, and illustrators out there on on how to manage your intellectual rights properly and monetize that. A lot of people just kind of go, uh, oh, yeah, sure. You have how much money? Okay, yeah, you can have it, you know. Whereas being a member of the AOI, I really learn all those things about protecting your IP. So even though somebody is paying you to use your illustrations for this and that, the original IP still resides with you. And that is stated on a piece of paper that is like an, accept- an acceptance of agreement thing, um, not as formal as a contract, but it's binding enough that you know the person that engages your services can see your terms and conditions and if there's any issue with that, they can raise it right up front before you hand over assets or before you finish the project. Right. Um, so that's something that I always tell people when they ask me, how do I price something? I said, go to the AOI, be a member. The membership is very cheap. It's like £180 a year. It's like, what, $300 a year. And you get unlimited advice on pricing you get access to that acceptance of agreement contract and you get to see the terms and conditions. It just gets you thinking more about how to protect your IP, how to manage it, how to protect yourself from, say, you get sick suddenly halfway through a job or the client wants to cancel the job halfway through and it's not your fault. You need to be properly compensated. You know, There's all these things that need to be part of the conversation between the client and yourself before the work even begins and not just everything's based on a handshake and a trust because that's when things will go wrong. Although having said that, I completely understand that different markets, different climates are different. Some places like in in Australia, in Melbourne and Sydney, even a a place as big as Sydney, contracts are not very common. Even amongst uh, companies or studios and end clients, they're not very common. So everyone is kind of a little bit scared of dropping a contract in the client's lap because hey, there's a studio three doors down that would do the same thing without this piece of paper that is kind of scary and binding and stuff. You know, so uh, clients here tend to be quite spoiled in that they don't want to have to think about where they're going to use the artwork or they don't want to have to think about all this legal obligation that they enter into, you know. Uh, and it's just, it's unfortunate because most of the time it's it's more the uh, the attitude that scares them than the actual terms and conditions. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's something that I, I'm hoping will change slowly, slowly in the future that more and more people would be more used to having it all written in black and white to avoid, you know, mishaps or, or, or bad things happening from either side. Right. But yeah, that's, I, how, that's how I deal with that. Mm-hmm. I think what you're advocating for is just clear communication and so that mm. there's not room for misinterpretation, you yeah. need to have it in writing. A, a simple term sheet and a, an agreement letter, it doesn't have to be the big C word. It doesn't have to be a contract where you get multiple signatures and everything. But just to make sure that what you're saying and what I've agreed to, mm-hmm. we we now understand it and it's in black and white. So at least later on, you can't feign ignorance or you can't say, well, that was never said. Right. Mm. And and that's all yeah. it's about, because in a lot of situations, uh, I'm, I'll speak for us when we bring freelancers on who work on projects for for the for the need of our own clients. We, we have to do a work for hire agreement. So the work mm. that you produce, we need to own because the clients are going to use it and we just don't know what it's going to be used for. 
And yeah, it's, exactly. thus far, it's never been a problem because everybody's above board and that's all it is. Mm. And yeah. in a situation where maybe you know that there's going to be other uses outside of this, and then mm. everybody can negotiate on the behalf of themselves. You got to just take care of yourself, right? That's really yeah, what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think it's about valuing your work and not just letting people bully you into situations where you, you relinquish control over things you've worked on. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I hear more and more often people are getting asked to hand over After Effects project files. And you just go, hang on a minute, that will cost money. Not only because I'm handing over my intellectual property to you that has all the tips and tools and tricks that I have in there and somebody can just unpack that and run away with it. But also it takes time and effort to compile everything into a hard drive, mm -hmm. label everything, you know, so... People should be charging for that. This is one of the conversations that happens over and over in motion design forums is, do I charge for it? How do I charge for it? How much? What do I say to the client? And yes, these conversations need to keep happening. Mm -hmm. And once mm -hmm. you advise people on how to do that, do you find that people are armed with that knowledge and information go out and just do it? Or do they still feel that I'm jeopardizing the job by asking for these things? Oh, that's a hard one. I guess it really varies mm -hmm. with the individual. Um, if the person in question has enough faith in themselves and, and, and believe that if the client runs away, then they're not the kind of client you want to work with anyway, mm -hmm. then obviously there's a greater chance of success of that strategy being implemented from here on. But yeah, it really varies. It really depends on each person's comfort level. Some people are terrified of confrontation, so they will never even think of bringing this up, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, it really varies. But I, I feel like, um, well, I get asked more by women than by men about these things, about managing rights and stuff. I feel like out of, you know, uh, all the people that have asked me, I, I, I don't know, I feel like there's a 70 80% chance of them implementing it as, as a permanent setup, as a permanent strategy, you know. Oh, Certainly if you, if, you, if you teach someone that you need to value yourself, you need to value your intellectual property, uh, at least that basic message will stay with that person. You know, how you implement it, that's really got to be played from case, you know, judge case by case and got to play it by ear and see what the client is like and what the situation is like. But mm -hmm. I, I feel like if we start telling each other that and reminding each other that, then the basic message of you have to value yourself will be a positive one. And that's a good starting point. It's a step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I was reading in, in Blair N's book, Pricing Creativity, and mm -hmm. he said that there's a formula and a good indicator of price. And mm -hmm. part of that formula is self-confidence. Yeah. So the more you believe in yourself, the more likely that the price is going to go up. And mm. the reason why I asked you this question is because, uh, of course, I speak about these issues. And I yeah. find it oddly, uh, the reaction is, is just very strange and surprising to me in that I get a lot of creatives who fight me on like not charge. They don't think you should charge more and that it's not worth that. And, and they are, are almost oh. mocking me. Okay, so I do this video and I teach people how to charge hundreds if not thousands of dollars mm. more than what they've been charging 
And yeah. most people are like, yes, this is what I needed. This is exactly it. And then there's a bunch of people who then respond and say, that's dishonest. You can't do that. Oh, yeah, I'm going to pay you $500 just so that you can pick out a typeface. Yeah. Right? So, And it's coming mm -hmm. from creatives. Yes. So not only yeah. are they not doing it, they're fighting against it. And so I, I, I'm just curious. Maybe you have a, a, a more malleable community that's willing to say, yes, this is a better way. And you're a trusted source. So they just listen. But no. 70 to 80 percent sounds amazing to me. <laughs> um, well, I guess because uh, the, the numbers that I'm proposing um, isn't that high. So people are less intimidated mm -hmm. by that. I see. People get really scared of asking for a lot of money for themselves, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one. But yeah, I have to say I really love that video that you had about charging based on value mm -hmm. instead of, of, of time. I mm -hmm. quoted that on my interview with Motion Hatch where it's all about business. It's a business-oriented motion podcast. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's, it's coming back to the same thing is that when people fight you for that sort of advice is because I feel they want validation for the position they've chosen to right. be in. You know, so mm -hmm. they definitely feel kind of bad for not you know, charging enough, but they want to be comforted. They want to be reassured that what they're doing is the right thing, that there is no way the client would agree to such, you know, outrageous price tag. Mm -hmm. So that's why they fight you is because they want to be comforted. They want to be reassured that what they're doing by saying no is the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, who can judge that, right? I mean, right. you can't ask, I mean, it depends on the client. You can't ask for a certain kind of price tag if, if it's a client that has less money, like for example, maybe government institutions or NGOs, although I've been told that NGOs actually have a fair bit of money, <laughs> but I, mean, I don't non know. Nonprofits have money too. Nonprofits have money too, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's why people fight us, I think. I, I guess uh, that that's mm. a good explanation. So you're saying it's like it's confirmation bias. They're just looking for other yes. people to, yeah. to say like what you're doing is right. And when I say yeah. that, then they freak out. It's like, no, that can't be true. Yeah, because you're making them feel lousy for not, you know, for missing out on money that they could otherwise have had if they stick to their guns or, or step up um, mm. and demand more. Mm -hmm. It's well, a scary thing. It yeah. is a scary thing, or it can be, mm -hmm. and and most of the battle, I think, it's just happening in your own mind. So I, I usually get yeah. two reactions, right? One is that I tried it and I can't believe it worked, or <laughs> it'll mm -hmm. never work and I'm going to go back to my life the way it is. And yeah. I I just think like I'm a bit advocate that negotiations are just part of business, and mm. you want to be a great negotiator. You just don't want to be a good negotiator against yourself. So don't mm. come into the negotiation just talking yourself down, saying it's not worth it. And it never I, I just think unless you're you're your the budget is is a hundred dollars and you ask for a million, very rarely is overshooting the budget by a percentage going to be the thing that breaks the deal. Yeah. Very rarely. Yeah. So I, I much prefer to come in with a higher number than what I think is palatable for anybody and allow mm. the client to to bring me back down and saying, okay. We overthought it. The scope isn't that big, and we we can figure this thing out together. Versus, mm -hmm. here's my price. I'm like, love it, great. Then you know yes. something's up. Yes, you've exactly. underpriced your work, 
and you've yeah. undervalued what you bring to the table. That's what Jessica Hish said as well in her article, The Dark Arts of Pricing. Um, the three reactions, when they say, okay, great, that means you've quoted a little bit under. Mm -hmm. When they try to bargain with you a little bit, that's when you know your price is right. Uh, when they out and out refuse, that means you're probably too high, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, that's that's an interesting one because yes, self-confidence is everything. Um, but also I think if you're a freelancer or you're running your own business, it's always a scary thing, you know, the uncertainty. I, I deal with this all the time because um, you know, obviously Australia is a smaller market um, and some of the studios I work for are terrified of losing business by asking for more. So, you know, I just, I feel, sometimes I feel a little frustrated because obviously I'm not the one negotiating with the end client. I'm the hired help and the, the business owner is negotiating with the client right mm -hmm. at the end there. Mm -hmm. And this has happened recently many times that I get told, you're crazy, Lil. They're not going to agree to this. You know, um, we're trying to win this client. We're trying to make this agency be a regular client. And, you know, uh, in the end, it all comes down to price. And I can't quote this because they just go with somebody else that's cheaper. I mean, this happens so often. And, yeah, it's it's frustrating. But sometimes, you know, again, it's it's all about compassion and being able to listen and being able to entertain that you're wrong. You know, um, I think both sides should do that. You know, and that's how we make progress is by finding a good balance point between asking for more and not asking too much and still keeping the client happy. It's, it's a really tricky thing. Sometimes you don't know. You just don't know what's the right thing to do, you know. Mm -hmm. Risk, I guess, taking risk is how, how open are you to taking risk? Uh, do you want your business to grow? Because, like, I agree with what you said. This is a basic law of negotiation. If you start low, then the client knows that that's the price that you're happy with and they're never going to give you more, you know. So you got to start high. But that's really scary because what if they just run away, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, so here's the thing, and, and I put this out there. So if you look at your life and you say that it's been humming along and everything's been going great, mm. and then some new thing pops up, like an opportunity, now yeah. you've put too much mental uh, investment or emotional investment into it that now you've made it bigger than it is because if it goes away, then your life has has been just moving along and it's fine. So you, mm. you can't lose something you never had. So if yeah. you take away that fear, so it's like you've almost counted that dollar amount or whatever in your bank account mm. and it was just an initial call. So now you're, you're thinking you're going to lose it. Well, you can't lose it. That's why I, I can go into negotiation fairly objectively and detached from the outcome because I just know yesterday they didn't call me and I didn't know they existed until the minute they called me. Yeah, exactly. Right? So I'm, yes. I'm not going to yeah. go there and, and and hype it up in my own mind and want it more than the client because that puts mm. me at, uh, at at a disadvantage. I've ceded the higher ground and mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. But it can That's be That's a tough. great mentality. Absolutely. It can be tough. But you and I, yeah. you with the, uh, oh, I'm going to go live on my own at 13 or 14 years old <laughs> and me uh -huh. just moving uh, every year and a half, two years from house to house, from neighborhood to neighborhood, there was a lot of instability. So for us, this ain't a thing. Like, mm. it, I mean, heaven forbid, Lillian, if you ever wind up in jail, you're like, yeah, I've seen this before. Give me that food. I know how to survive here. I know how to take a shower with other people. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. Get all naked. 
<laughs> where I would be freaking out. I'm like, oh my god, what is yeah. going on? Um, but I mean, you know, sorry, sorry to bring up a stereotype, but also Asians are supposed to be good at bargaining and negotiation and money, right? <laughs> is that right? I don't know. Apparently, so I mean, no, you should I don't, see I don't my know. mom. You should see my mom bargaining at the market. It's horrible. I just cringe. I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe they don't like throw rotten vegetables at you. <laughs> You're so mean. You know, she'd be like, uh, you know, they name X price, and she go half that. Right. And they're like, ah, oh, somewhere in between. Then it's like, oh, all right, I'll pay you somewhere in between plus two more apples. You know, stuff. <laughs> Like after they agree right after they agree it's like do not, yeah. do not give brown do you so that's where i learn it from yeah. i guess oh yeah you had a good role model <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can just dial it back a little bit so it's not so cringy i know she yeah. does her best yeah. <laughs> i am lillian and you're listening to the future Features hosted by me, Chris Doe. Our show is edited by Samuel Burns with an assist from Stuart Schuster. Big thanks to Adam Sanborn for composing our theme song. To subscribe to the Future Podcast, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. While you're there, do us a solid and leave us a review. Your comments will help guide future programming, and hey, it'll help us with our rankings. Can't get enough content? You're in luck. We have over 500 episodes on our YouTube channel, just go to youtube.com slash the future is here. Make sure you don't miss out on upcoming events, workshops, live broadcasts, and webinars by signing up for our newsletter. Go to our site, thefuture.com, and click on the email sign up button. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at the future is here. Thanks for listening. See you on the next episode.